Well, as I said when I read the Word of God, the text for us this evening is 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, uh, where Paul says, Our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. How do you feel when someone starts to talk to you about their job. I suppose it depends on how they express themselves and and what sort of a job they have. If someone tells you that they're a fighter pilot or an undercover police officer or a professor of genetics or an engineer working on the local sewer network, you might be interested, mightn't you? You might ask many questions. Why did you choose this work? How long did you have to train for it? What skills do you need? What does your day-to-day work look like? What are the hours that you work? How much do you earn? Uh, you want to ask questions, don't you? I Personally, I love to talk to people about their work, but inevitably, at, at some point or other, they, they say, well, what do you do? And I say, well, I'm a Christian minister. And that's usually a really good conversation stopper, that one. The best you get is, oh, that's nice. (laughs) Um, Some Christian ministers have tried to describe the job in different ways, to try to keep the the conversation going. Some of you might be old enough to have been there at my induction service 18 years ago. I remember one of the ministers there uh, saying that he was in the hospital once. And he was asked, well, what do you do for a job? And he thought, oh, I'm not going to give the normal answer. That stops conversation. So he said this, I catch men. I catch men. Well, you can imagine the conversations that they came on. But that's true, isn't it? Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. And that was a great one. Another friend of mine in my previous church said, of course, you know what you are? You're a sky pilot. I said, no, I've never even been in an aeroplane. So no. no, no, he said, you're a sky pilot. You guide people to heaven. I hope so, I hope so. Well, we need to talk about the Christian ministry, because Paul does in these verses, and also because you've called another pastor, and I thought it was appropriate. Um, I've, I've been talking about this in our own church as well, because we're looking for a pastor, and we're working our way through to Corinthians, and this verse has particularly laid on my heart. I think it's a wonderful verse, absolutely wonderful verse, when Paul tells us what his work is. And not only what his work is, but he says he has made us. He's talking not just about himself, he's talking about his companions as well. Paul was not a loner. That's one of the things you learn from reading his letters. He never felt himself to be a one-man minister. There were others that he worked with. And he said, we are uh, competent ministers, sufficient ministers. And then he described it like this, we're ministers of a new covenant. A new covenant, he says. Not of the written word, uh, not of the letter, but of the spirit. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, Paul is really defending himself against some people in Corinth who seem to be self-styled super apostles. That's how he mentions them in chapter 12. And and they seem to be criticizing Paul 
They seem to be saying, oh, you, you, you don't want to listen to him. You can't trust him. Um, he's not really a, a proper apostle. So we, we need something different from him. And it even seems that some of these so-called super apostles were trying to lead people back to Moses and to the Old Testament. Uh, and to say, well, look, we, we, need, we need to go back to all of, all of that, the Ten Commandments and so on. Seems to be what they were doing in part. But mainly they were just simply trying to discredit Paul and say don't listen to Paul and so he says look I want to tell you this is what God has called us to do and so these these uh, verses are part of Paul's defense really but they also help us to understand what the Christian ministry is all about and the first thing that is quite obvious from this verse is that the Christian ministry is impossible by human strength the Christian ministry is impossible by human strength it does seem that Paul, like my friend in my induction service, who described himself as, a, as someone who catches men, Paul also seems to have found some interesting ways to describe his work. We read from chapter 2, and isn't that a fascinating little picture that he paints there? In chapter 2, verse 14, he says, uh, it's like this. We, I and my companions, our work is following the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Lord Jesus Christ is at the head of a wonderful procession. And Jesus is at the head, and we're following the Lord Jesus, and he's leading us in this wonderful triumphant procession because Jesus is the king, and he is triumphant, and we're following the king. And as we do that, so we are spreading a, a wonderful aroma, a lovely fragrance everywhere that's that's what our job is we are spreading the fragrance of Christ everywhere and some people when they smell this fragrance they think oh that's really pleasant I also want to to follow Christ I want to come to this true eternal life but other people they smell this fragrance and it it stinks to them and they say I don't want that and they run a mile away and so he said, that's our job, really. Our job is to spread everywhere the fragrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's a wonderful way of describing what the, the Christian ministry and indeed what churches are here for. We're here to spread the aroma of, of Christ. And then Paul ends all of that, that little description, by saying, well, who's, who's equal to, to a task like that? Who's sufficient for these things. Verse 16, he says, to the one we're a fragrance from death to death, to the other we're a fragrance from life to life, and who is sufficient for these things? Who can do it? It's, it's impossible by human standards. It's, it's, it's impossible. If you rely on yourself, you just can't do it. When you think about work, uh, you do certain training. Most jobs, you young people, when you eventually get a job, you'll have to do some training. Whatever job you do, you'll have to have some training. Even if it's just someone saying, this is how you do it. But for other jobs, you have to go to formal training and you have to get qualifications and so on. Now, when you get to the end of that training, how do you feel? Do you feel, right, I've been trained now, trained up, I can do it. I remember when I finished training as a, as a teacher, I could not wait to get into the classroom because I knew I'd been trained well. I knew I could do it. 
I could get into the classroom and I was really looking forward to being a teacher and having my own class and being able to, to teach them. And when you get to the end of some training, that's how you feel, isn't it? You think, wait. Now, it's very interesting because Christian ministry involves training as well. And it comes in various ways today. But Christian ministry is the one thing when you get to the end of the training and you realise you just can't do it. You just can't do it. It's not that you haven't been given some of the tools that you need. You just realise that you can't do it. It's not something that by human strength you are sufficient for. And that's one of the qualities that every Christian minister needs before he sets out on the task. It's his sense of humbly acknowledging you can't do it. Um, I love reading some of the, some of the uh, biographies of old saints. One of them, John Knox, he lived 1514 to 1572, so we're talking a long, long time ago. But he was called to ministry by his pastor. His pastor was overworked. His pastor was a man, interestingly, he called John Ruff. And he was quite rough with him as well. He was rough with John Knox. He needed to be, really, because he was encouraging this young man. But John Ruff... Uh, knew that he needed help and so they identified in the congregation this this man John Knox and um, and they they said he's got the qualities he's called by God and and so uh, John Ruff uh, announced to the church and and they agreed and then there was a, a, a service where they were appointing him to be a minister of the gospel and this is what John Ruff said brother Ye shall not be offended, albeit that I speak unto you that which I have in charge, even from all those here present, in the name of God and of his Son Jesus Christ, in the name of these that pre presently call you by mouth, I charge you that you refuse not this holy vocation, but as you tender the glory of God, the increase of Christ's kingdom, the edification of your brethren, and the comfort of me, oppressed by the multitude of my labours, that ye take upon you the public office of preaching, even as you look to avoid God's heavy displeasure and desire that he shall multiply his graces upon you. And then he asked all the congregation to say that they were in agreement and they all said yes and they looked round and there was John Knox and he was in floods of tears, absolute floods of tears and he ran out of the room and he went to his, to his house um, because he's, I can't do this and you can't by human standards. But nonetheless, Paul says, I can do it. And that's his whole point in this. He's not saying, I can't do it. He's saying, I can do it. And there's a reason why I can do it. I can do it in the strength that God gives me. And that's why he says in verse 4, such is the confidence, verse 4 of chapter 3, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves, to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is of God. There's the key, you see. No, you can't do this in your own strength. but You can do it with the strength that God gives. So that's the first thing that this verse uh, tells us. Our sufficiency is from God. But the second thing, it says even more important, is that the Christian ministry is the ministry of a new covenant and not of a dead letter. It's of a new covenant, and not of a dead letter. 
So he's established that the Christian ministry can't be tackled in human strength. It requires God's grace and God's strength. But what's the job of the minister? Well, what does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says that it is a glorious and a most wonderful ministry because the Christian minister is a servant of God. Minister means servant, doesn't it? I think sometimes we, we, we use that word minister and, and it seems to have a very exalted sense to it. But it simply means servant, doesn't it? A minister is a... We're all servants. Every one of us is a servant of God. And the minister is a servant. And he's not only a servant of God, but he's a servant of the, the, the people of God as well. Um, and and that, is a, that is a wonderful thing. Um, John Stott, uh, in a, there's a collection of his, of his writings and, and they're called uh, Serving God and His People. I think that's lovely. Serving God and His People. Christian ministry is a servant of God. But we serve under a new covenant. What do you mean by that? The new covenant. You hear it every, probably, every time you have the communion service because it's part of the words that we often quote. The new covenant in my blood. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. The Lord Jesus is referring to the fact that he came in order to bring something new, something wonderfully new, a new covenant. And that new covenant is in the blood of the Lord Jesus. So if there's a new one, there must be an old one. Well, yes, there is an old covenant. And our Old Testament, Testament is another word for covenant. So the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, and that the great change comes when Jesus comes. But in the Old Testament part of our Bible, there is an old covenant. What is a covenant? Well, a covenant is a solemn agreement between two parties. Marriage is the nearest that we have today, and it's a very good, a very good illustration of a covenant because marriage is a pattern for God's covenant with his people. But God's covenant is an unequal covenant. You see, in marriage, it's an equal covenant, isn't it, between a man and a wife. There's an equality there, an equality of promises. In the marriage service, you promise and you promise, and you're promising the same things to each other, and there's an equality. But with God, he is the one who makes all the promises. And his, his fundamental promise in his covenant is, I will be your God, and you will be my people. You will belong to me. I've chosen you. You are mine. You are my special people. You are the people belonging to me. And through the Old Testament, we find various ways in which this covenant is expressed, this old covenant. God made a covenant with Adam. He made a covenant with Noah. He made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with Moses. And so we see in the Old Testament this covenant, this great promise of God, you will be my people. We see God choosing and then making people his people. And those people then have responsibility towards God. But he is the one who is choosing. And the common link is that God is always choosing people to be his very own. For instance, you find in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 6, a wonderful expression of this. Exodus chapter 6 uh, and uh, verse 6. 
Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. You see God there bringing his people out rescuing them, saving them and it is part of God's work and God's promise to do that but when we get to the New Testament all those Old Testament covenant expressions pale into, into obscurity almost in the wonderful light of the New Covenant the New Covenant in the Lord Jesus Christ the New Covenant is expressed in Titus in many other places, of course, in the New Testament. But listen to how, how it's put in Titus. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You see, God has chosen his people and he's redeemed them and he's purified them and they are a people of his own possession a people belonging to God what's the big difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament well the big difference is this in the Old Testament there were sacrifices and offerings that had to be made again and again and they could never take sin away so God's people in the Old Testament uh, could never have that wonderful assurance that once and for all their sins were forgiven. But in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus has come. And once and for all, he died on the cross of Calvary and he shed his blood. He is the sacrifice that secures our salvation. And we are a people, not just one nation of people, not just one family, Abraham or Noah or the people of Israel, but now, as Titus says, people from all over the world, all people from all nations. The new covenant in the Lord Jesus Christ stretches round the whole globe and through all of time. And in fact, it is through Jesus that the Old Testament people came to faith in him. But we have this wonderful revelation of Jesus now. And what Paul is saying is, I've got this wonderful message to take to people. It's a message of a new covenant in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul compares this new covenant uh, with what the super apostles were peddling in Corinth. He says they've got a ministry of the letter. The letter. He doesn't say they've got the ministry of the law. There's nothing wrong with the law in the Old Testament. Nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. Nothing wrong at all. The problem comes when people start preaching it as if that's the way you're going to get saved that's the way you can get forgiven by obeying the law and it seems that these people in Corinth were saying that they were they were preaching the letter of the law but they weren't really understanding the true importance of what the law signified you see the law becomes a dead letter when it's preached as if this is the way that you can be saved we can't be 
commandments can do nothing in the end uh, but reveal the fact that you are a sinner. They confirm that you're a lawbreaker. Legalism, strict rules and duties, religious observances, these are all the evidences of a ministry that kills. The law is good, but it can only be effective when it is written on our hearts. And that's the wonderful thing about the new covenant. That's what makes this new covenant so glorious. What's happened now is that God has written his commandments on our hearts. In other words, he changes our hearts under the new covenant in Christ so that we are able to keep the law of God and we want to keep the law of God because Jesus has kept that law for us and now he has put in our hearts a love for the law of God. The law is good, but it needs to be written on our hearts. And under the new covenant, that's what happens. Jeremiah uh, prophesied this in Jeremiah in chapter 31. He said that this is what's going to happen when the new covenant comes. If you look at Jeremiah chapter uh, 31, he, said, uh, he says in verse 33, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declared the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is the new covenant that comes. It comes through us knowing Jesus and having that law written on our hearts. What a wonderful thing, says Paul, to be a minister of this new covenant, to be able to tell people, Jesus, Jesus and his blood has brought in this new way that we may know God personally. We will each know him and we'll have our sins forgiven through him. And that is the ministry that I have, says Paul. Through a new and living way, we can come to God. So that's the second thing. The third thing, the last thing is this. The Holy Spirit gives life through this new covenant Christian ministry. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says he's made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. That's the first thing. So it's not possible by human standards, but it is possible with the strength and grace of God. He has made us sufficient. We're ministers of a new covenant, says Paul, not the old covenant, but the new covenant in the Lord Jesus, the law written on our hearts, the Lord Jesus as our Saviour and Lord, his blood shed for us on Calvary's cross. And then he finally says, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Holy Spirit gives life through this new covenant Christian ministry. So when Paul finishes this verse, he doesn't want us to go away with the wrong impression. He is competent, he is sufficient, he is fit in order to be a minister of this new covenant. But that doesn't mean that he can give life to anyone. He can't give that life. The letter kills. Does Paul give life? No, he doesn't. Does a Christian minister give spiritual life? No, he doesn't, certainly not. In fact, he needs spiritual life himself, doesn't he? Every Christian minister needs to come to Christ themselves and to have sins forgiven and new life with him and the law written on their hearts. No, eternal life from heaven is only received through Jesus. This 
Spiritual life comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This new covenant is also a, co- a, a ministry of the Spirit. It's a ministry of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work. When Jesus came, one of the, one of the wonderful new aspects of the new covenant is that the Holy Spirit has been poured out in a way that was not true in the Old Testament. Pentecost was something that was truly glorious. Jesus died and rose again and went to heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit is now present with God's people in his church and each individual believer possesses the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And it's this Holy Spirit who gives life and he's very much active uh, through the ministry of the word of God. So as a Christian minister preaches the gospel of Christ, a Christ who lived a perfect life, a Christ who is the son of God, who gave his life on the cross as, a, as, as if he were the greatest and most wicked person who had ever lived, but he was taking on himself the sins of his people, wasn't he? He was taking on the sins of his covenant people. He was paying the price for them. He lived a perfect life, but he died for their sins. And then he rose again for our forgiveness and eternal life for all who come to him. Some people will say, well, I hate that message. It stinks. I reject it. And they will reject the message and they will reject the Christian minister and they will reject the Christian church and they'll say, I don't want any of that. But other people will say, this is a wonderful message, a fragrant message. I love it. I need that life. That's the ministry of the new covenant. What is it that makes a difference though? What what makes a difference between the person who says, I hate that and walks away and the person who says, I love that and I need that eternal life? difference is the Holy Spirit. He is at work through the preaching of the new covenant message. He calls people to Jesus and increases the number of those who are part of this new covenant community. The covenant is not with us as individuals, it's with us as all of God's people and it will ultimately be a a number of people that no one can count from every country, every language, every group, every tribe, through all of history through all of the ages who have heard the call of the gospel and in whose heart this Holy Spirit has worked in order to bring new life. That's the ministry of the new covenant. It is truly glorious. You read on in chapter 3 and you can see Paul saying just how glorious this new covenant ministry is. Brothers and sisters, we have a wonderful, wonderful ministry. We have a glorious message. We have a saviour who has died for us and we have a message about a crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ and we have a spirit who gives life. So we can have every confidence in this ministry of the new covenant, this ministry of the spirit. But the big question tonight is, is that you? Are you part of this new covenant community. Have you come to Christ? Do you love this message? Have you come to seek forgiveness and grace in him? Has the Holy Spirit opened your eyes? I trust that he has and if he hasn't that that you will listen to this message and that you will 
come to Christ for that saving grace.